Hey listeners, we have a very rare opening for an associate sound designer mixer here at DeFacto Sound. That's my sound design studio and the studio behind 20,000 Hertz. To learn more, visit jobs.defactosound.com. This application window closes on May 22nd. Now, onto the show. From DeFacto Sound, you're listening to 20,000 Hertz, the stories behind the world's most recognizable and interesting sounds. I'm Dallas Taylor. In this episode, we'll be going back in time to discover sound firsts. This is the mobile service operator. I want JR62375. This is just like a regular phone call, except it's a mobile service operator. I can remember the first time I heard my first radio program. Go ahead, please. Hiya, Hank. Floyd Patti at the studio. Yes, Floyd. Well, we made it. I guess we did. All Betty's doubts are removed. Well, I'm down on my way uh, into the airport. You're listening to what might be the oldest known recording of a cell phone conversation, all the way back in 1948. Would your city desk ordinarily be calling you perhaps on the mobile unit just like this, maybe with a change uh, of assignment? Now, uh, would it work out that way for you? Absolutely. It's hard to believe how much technology has changed in the past century, especially for our listeners born in the first half of the 1900s. (laughs) Well, thanks a lot, Hank. This has really been wonderful. I feel like a a pioneer in science. While this is the oldest known recording of a mobile phone call, according to AT&T, the first call took place in St. Louis two years earlier, in 1946. That got me wondering, what are the oldest sound recordings in existence today? And not just recordings, but what are some of the first sounds, voices, songs, events, and audio technologies in human history? Strap in and hold on. We're going to go back in time through the history of sound. My name's Patrick Feaster. I'm a co-founder of the First Sounds Initiative, three-time Grammy nominee, and received my PhD in Folkland Ethnomusicology When I was a graduate student, I wrote a dissertation on how people adapted to the phonograph when it was very, very new. This possibility of speaking or performing for people who are in different times and places was radically new at the time. Nobody really would have had any sense for how to proceed. How do you talk to someone who's not there next to you? How do you talk to someone who's going to be listening to you at some other time? When is now? Is it when I'm speaking? Is it when you're listening to me? Where's here? Is it where I am? Is it where you are? Things like that. So to figure this out, to figure out how people were trying to make sense of this way back at the beginning, I needed to find some of the very earliest recordings so that I could eavesdrop on their dilemmas. And to do that, I found I had to learn a lot more about the very earliest recordings to figure out which they were, how to play them, how to identify them. For over a hundred years, researchers would point at Thomas Edison as the inventor of recorded sound. An 1888 Edison recording of Israel and Egypt at London's Crystal Palace was thought to be the oldest playable recording in existence. Edison's revolutionary invention, the phonograph, was the first of its kind to both record and play back sound. 
but historians knew about even older archival recordings. And the key word here is recordings, because these earlier attempts at capturing sound could not be played back. The very earliest experiments with something resembling sound recording as we know it today involved recording the vibrations of vibrating objects themselves. So, for example, you'd pluck a string, and it would vibrate. You'd tap a metal rod, and it would vibrate. You'd sound a tuning fork, and it would vibrate. The idea was you'd attach something to that object that could leave a trace, a pen, a pencil, a stylus is what we usually call this, and then move a surface along rapidly underneath it. And if everything worked right, you'd either get a row of dots or a wavy line that would tell you how that object had moved over time. Styluses of all types would scratch these waveforms into materials as varied as tinfoil, soot-covered paper, paraffin wax, and even wood. The earliest recordings of sounds passing through the air were made by Edouard Léon Scott de Martinville. He was impressed by a discussion of how the human ear works. So he had the idea of trying to build an artificial ear where instead of passing the vibrations along to our brains, they'd write them down on a sheet of paper. So in 2008, historian David Giovannoni, Patrick, and their colleagues rewrote history and unveiled the oldest known audio recording of a human voice ever made by Leon Scott 17 years before Edison patented the phonograph. Right now, the earliest really intelligible recording we have is Au Clair de la Lune from April 9th of 1860. That's because we can correct the speed. It's a recognizable tune. You can listen to someone singing across the ages and, and really get a sense for what things actually sounded like in the room where he was. Leon Scott's ear-shaped device was designed to only look at sound. He was a stenographer and wanted to invent a way to record the wave patterns of conversations, testimony, or speeches. While he had no way to play back these wave patterns, he hoped he could learn to read them like a language, thus avoiding potential errors in transcription. The earliest ambient noises that we could have recordings of are probably the sounds of the Metropolitan Elevated Railway in New York City. The problem is that they don't really sound like a whole lot. The vibration of girders that we're holding up the railway, it could be that we're hearing those. But in terms of sounds from the environment, uh, there's a recording from 1890 of the chiming of Big Ben in London. July the 16th, And another favorite early recording of, of just noises in the background is a home recording on a wax cylinder where someone had just taken a phonograph out to a barnyard sometime, probably in the late 1890s. But let's go back further. Even before Leon Scott's 1860 recording, are there other recordings out there 
1857, every recording Scott made has all of these pitch fluctuations burned into it. And we can try to get rid of these through guesswork. For example, in the case of a recording of the cornet made sometime in late 1857. We know that cornets play continuous notes. They don't wobble around the way the human voice could. And so my uh, colleague David Juvenoni and I have done some work to try to speed correct one of these very early recordings of the cornet using educated guesses. How about even earlier? Scott's very first experiments were carried out sometime in 1853 or 1854. One of them is a plate of speech, and the other one is a plate of guitar sounds. They're pretty messed up. We can get some sort of sounds out of them, but I doubt these sounds have much resemblance to anything that was actually heard back in 1853 or 1854. While it's tough to make anything of those sounds, it's unbelievable that they still exist. That someone took sound out of the air and made a physical record of it, and were able to even remotely reproduce it. How about any sound from earlier than that? Is there a sound that was recorded in any fashion earlier than 1853? We have records of tuning forks going back to 1850 or so. You can play them back. But these aren't sounds passing through the air. They're sounds that were picked up at their source. And some people might say that's, that's not really a sound recording. But if we think of recordings of electric guitars picked up electrically as sound recordings, then these tuning fork traces ought to be considered sound recordings too. These tuning fork recordings from 1850 are currently the oldest known audio recordings of any kind. But might we one day find something even older? Perhaps one that used a different recording technology or medium to capture it? People like to speculate about sounds somehow being recovered from the even more distant past. So, for example, people speculate about sounds picked up on pottery. If someone was holding a chisel or something just right up against the edge of a pot as it was spinning on a potter's wheel, could it have picked up sounds out of the air? Or uh, brush strokes on paintings, could the paintbrush that a painter was holding have vibrated in response to sounds passing through the air? Could we recover sounds from old paintings? I have a scenario of my own in mind where dinosaurs dragging their tails in the mud could have picked up sounds, uh, maybe of the dinosaurs' voices or things like that. It's very fun to speculate about all this, but I don't think we'll ever run into any experiments at recording sounds passing through the air from before the work of Leon Scott. Now that we've gone as far back as possible in the history of recorded sound, let's uncover some other sound firsts. For a long time, people were eager to try to find a recording of the voice of somebody born in the 18th century. But just a few years ago, I was going through trying to identify a group of cylinders at Thomas Edison National Historical Park and found a recording there of the voice of Helmut von Moltke, the military leader in the Prussian Wars of German unification. October 
and he was born in 1800, so the last year of the 18th century, making him the only person from that century whose voice survives in a recording, which is really ironic because his nickname was Der Große Schweiger, or the Great Silent One, because he didn't talk very much. The earliest born woman whose voice survives on record, as far as I know, is a woman named Rachel C. Wombaugh. who was born in 1815. Let's move on to some other firsts, like those from the battlefield. The earliest recording of authentic noises of war dates from World War I. You'll find a lot of different statements about who the first president of the United States was to make a sound recording, or who has a sound recording that survives today. The earliest really confirmed example is going to be Teddy Roosevelt. The great fundamental issue now before our people can be stated briefly. Are the American people fit to govern themselves, to rule themselves, to control themselves? I believe they are. We're only halfway through our list of sound firsts, with more examples coming up from the worlds of radio, television, film, and even outer space. And we're also going to speak with Lynn Novick, the acclaimed documentary filmmaker who has worked with Ken Burns for almost 30 years, as she gives her take on discovering previously unheard sounds and their importance. We'll get to all of that in just a moment. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When I think about hiring, it just seems like it's more work, more stress, and more pressure. But here's how Indeed takes away all that worry. Indeed is the world's number one matching and hiring platform with over 350 million visitors every month. Indeed cuts out the work of hiring with smart AI technology that helps you find the right candidate quickly. It takes the stress out of the process with scheduling, screening, and messaging all in one place. So you know exactly what you're up to in the hiring process because Indeed keeps track of everything for you. Then, Indeed relieves the pressure of choosing the right person. That's because their skill tests give you the confidence that you've got the right candidate. So now when you think of hiring, don't think of all those negatives. Just think of Indeed. To try Indeed for yourself with a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility, visit Indeed.com Hertz. Just go to Indeed.com Hertz right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Hertz. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. NetSuite has simple solutions for complicated business problems. For example, let's say you open a bakery. Before long, your hotcakes are selling like, well, hotcakes. But you keep running out of ingredients. No problem, because not only can NetSuite automate your purchasing so you're never out of stock, but it can also check that your staff have the right training to make those hotcakes to perfection. NetSuite can even handle online orders so your hotcakes can really take off. 
Having one system handling all of this saves both time and money. And if there's two things we all want more of, it's time and money. Okay, so three things if you include hotcakes. That's probably why more than 37,000 businesses have already signed up for NetSuite by Oracle. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash 20k now to take advantage of this offer. That's netsuite.com slash 20k. netsuite.com slash 20k. Listening to the earliest recorded sounds and other sound firsts is fascinating because it takes us back in time to a place where the people making these sounds had no idea that what they were doing at that moment was going to be preserved and shared with future generations. But many of these sounds had not been collected and preserved in a way where they could get their just due and be shared with society. They were hidden away in library vaults or personal collections, and no one knew what secrets they held. We spoke with Lynn Novick, the award-winning filmmaker and co-directing partner of Ken Burns, I wondered what it must feel like to discover an unknown sound or photograph or personal story and share it with the world for the first time. That sort of thing happens on every project that we've collaborated on. It's hard to even have words around how you feel when you hear something for the first time yourself and you imagine what it would have been like for the people who heard that originally. And then when you try to figure out how it fits into the story you're trying to tell, it sort of collapses time between the present and the past and in a very visceral and immediate way. And I think in a way that only sound actually can do. My parents used to talk to me about how they grew up listening to the radio and how they would listen to the serials. They would be transported into a place, a magic place from these stories on the radio. And I always was fascinated by that because I think your brain fills in the pictures when you have the sound. That's an exercise in collaboration with the oral experience and the past that's profound. I asked Lynn if she or her production team had ever come across any sound firsts of their own. Certainly we've come across sounds that have never been heard by mass television audiences and every project. Our jazz series, we realized during the course of the production that during the war, the only recordings that were made were made for the government, for something called V-Discs. And so all the great artists of that time recorded songs to be sent out to the armed forces, V for victory, V discs. And sometimes they would record not just the performance, but the artists might say something before they started singing or playing. And there's a beautiful recording that I think evokes the time so perfectly, which is Frank Sinatra. He's going to perform long ago and far away. I think it's in 1943. Gentlemen of the armed forces, this is the hoodlum from Hoboken. I'd like to sing a tune for you. My name's Sinatra, and I hope you like it, hey. It's very personal. It's very direct. It feels very real. And you don't hear him talk that way that much. It's like he's speaking to you personally. That's a really resonant moment for me. Kim Burns' most famous film is The Civil War, and Lynn was an associate producer on it. While no actual sound recordings were made during this period of American history, some of the people who lived through it were recorded afterwards. Ken and his brother Rick made use of some really remarkable audio recordings that had been done, I believe, in the 1920s or 30s. They're recordings of oral history by people who had been enslaved. My name is Fountain Hughes. 
I was born in Charlottesville, Virginia. My grandfather belonged to Thomas Jefferson. My grandfather was 115 years old when he died. And now I am 101 years old. These are real people telling you what it was really like to be enslaved. All of a sudden, it doesn't seem like it's something that happened 200 years ago. It happened yesterday when you hear those recordings. There's even a fantastic rumor that Leon Scott actually visited the White House in 1863 and made a recording of Abraham Lincoln, although there's no evidence for this. What would it mean to Lynn to actually hear Lincoln's voice? Well, first of all, hearing any representation of the voice of Abraham Lincoln would be a transcendent experience because he is so much larger than life that it's hard to think of him as a real person. There's a grandiosity and an intimacy to what he writes and how he framed up the issues of the day. Ken and I were recently at the Lincoln Memorial and we were standing there looking at this monumental statue. Hearing his voice would be a way to get reintroduced to him as a person and not as this unknowable leader. Lynn's latest collaboration with Ken Burns is their new film, The Vietnam War. In producing this film, I wondered if they discovered any sound firsts. One thing that we came across was a recording that Ho Chi Minh made reading a poem that was broadcast in January of 1968. And the poem was supposed to be a signal to the communist forces to launch the Tet Offensive. Đồng bào và chiến sĩ yêu quý, từ năm 1965, đế quốc Mỹ... He recorded this poem and they put it on the air, and we were able to get a recording of it and put it in the film and subtitle it so that you hear what he's saying. He's saying, forward, victory will be ours, but it's actually a coded message. And I don't think any Americans or very few would have heard that before our film comes out. These are powerful men making enormously important and influential decisions. It's really important to listen to them. The films that Lynn has worked on through the years get a pretty wide audience, but a few other sound firsts did not. One of those is a recording of the first commercial radio broadcast in history. Dr. Frank Conrad was a ham radio tinkerer in Pittsburgh. He played records over the airwaves for his friends. So when Westinghouse Electric Corporation asked him to set up a regular transmission on station KDKA in November of 1920, here's what it sounded like. This is KDKA of the Westinghouse Electric and Manufacturing Company in East Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We shall now broadcast the election returns. <clears throat> We'd appreciate it if anyone hearing this broadcast would communicate with us, as we are very anxious to know how far the broadcast is reaching and how it is being received. The first sounds that came from a television broadcast were by the BBC in England in March of 1930 in a theatrical performance of the play The Man with the Flower in His Mouth. Faintly from a distance there comes the sound of a departing train. The man with the flower in his mouth is seated at one of the tables. Ah, so you missed your train. Unfortunately, only four households in the area had televisions to tune in. You might have caught it by running. I suppose I might. It's absurd, I know. If I hadn't been all... The first feature-length movie with lip-synced audio was The Jazz Singer in 1927. Wait a minute. 
better, I tell you. You ain't heard nothing. Toot, toot, tootsie. Goodbye. Toot, toot, tootsie. Don't cry. The first stereo sound recording for a commercial film was made in 1938 for the Judy Garland movie, Listen, Darling. In 2016, researchers restored the first recording of computer-generated music that was programmed by the British computer scientist Alan Turing in 1951. At this point, you may think we've reached our limit, but this is just audio from Earth. The first sounds broadcast from the moon were from Soviet engineers in 1966. The Luna 10 entered orbit around the moon and began to broadcast the song, The Internationale. And we even have the first sounds from Mars. In 2012, the Curiosity team broadcast an audio message delivered by NASA Administrator Charles Bolden. Hello, this is Charlie Bolden, NASA Administrator, speaking to you via the broadcast capabilities of the Curiosity rover, which is now on the surface of Mars. But just wait. We'll hear real ambient sound from the surface of Mars in 2021, when a new rover will land on the red planet with a microphone for the first time. It's interesting to think that just over 10 years ago, our concept of the oldest recorded sounds in history were from the late 1870s. But discoveries by researchers and advancements in technology pushed that back to the 1850s. I wondered what new technology might do for some of the unintelligible Leon Scott recordings prior to 1860. I do believe that over time, we'll be able to develop techniques for making better educated guesses about the earlier recordings. I've been doing some experiments myself lately, trying to find patterns in the irregularities. Lots of possibilities here, lots of room for very creative experimentation. But I'm pretty sure that before too much longer, we'll be able to listen with a lot more confidence. The search for the oldest and the first types of sounds in history has made me reflect on the importance of sound in our lives. A photograph is a literal snapshot it's a singular moment in time. But sound that can last for seconds, even minutes, helps us feel in an almost indescribable way what it might have been like to live in earlier times and almost know another human being from a bygone era. In a way, there's something that happens where you read something in a book or you imagine it. But when a person who was there tells you something that confirms what you already think happened, it kind of cements it and makes it real. It's crucial that we preserve these earliest traces of our audible past. Imagine what it would be like if we didn't have any photographs of what the world looked like more than 50 years ago. What would we lose by not knowing what a city street looked like in the year 1900? or what the faces of the presidents of the United States really looked like. Not the idealized pictures we get in paintings, but what these people really looked like. If we lost the earlier sound recordings that we possess, the loss would be similar. 
sound matters. It's interesting to think that Leon Scott was the first person to record the human voice. And as my words are being recorded now, at this instant, it's the very last recorded voice in human history. If only for a fleeting moment. Twenty Thousand Hertz is presented by DeFacto Sound, a sound design team dedicated to making television, film, and games sound incredible. Find out more at defactosound.com. This episode was produced and edited by Kevin Eds and me, Dallas Taylor, with help from Sam Sneebly. It was sound designed and mixed by Colin Devarney. Many thanks to Patrick Feaster and his colleagues at FirstSounds.org, who aim to make mankind's earliest sound recordings available to all people for all time. And thanks to Lynn Novick, whose new film, The Vietnam War, premieres September 17th on PBS. Like the music you hear on this episode of 20,000 Hertz? Each song is provided by our friends at Musicbed. You can listen to all of them, including this one, Summit by 100 Years, on our exclusive playlist. Start listening now at music.20k.org. If you'd like to get in touch, reach out at hi at 20k.org or through our website, 20k.org. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Twitter with the handle 20korg. Also, please go to the podcast app of your choice and give us a quick rating and review. It helps a ton. You'll find all of the links I mentioned in the show description. Thanks for listening.